total party thrill is also brought. Blah. I can't read this, that's the problem. It's too small. Dangerous Cave in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Asian. And welcome to episode 201 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on playing non-human characters and talking about goblins. But first the rogue traders speculate on real estate in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the bugbear bear reaches out and touches you in the character creation forge. Change just the cave, or just in the cave. Just a cave. Any old cave. I mean, any old cave with goblins in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a well-appointed cave. There's um, some people over there that we are cooking up. Mm-hmm. There's a that's, there's that's a kind pen of, of me. There's a pen of animals on the other side that are uh, actually in need of cleaning. So I'm gonna need you to get on that. They are well cared for, and they enjoy their life with us. Okay. They're not. Those wolves are extremely hungry. Well, uh, they would eat you in a moment if you got in their pen. Uh, well, they can't because I don't know what their stats are. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do because I have D&D Beyond. Do you? Uh, I do, in fact, because this week we are brought to you by D&D Beyond. Well, that's convenient. Mm-hmm. Good timing on that. Uh, segwayed right in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I liked it. So yeah. what, what is D&D Beyond? It's the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you know how you want to go online and look up stats for creatures that you're going to run in a game or all the different options for a character that you're about to build uh-huh. or, you know, campaign planning information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're thinking, I have no idea where to get that stuff. Yep. D&D Beyond is a really great place to do it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. if I want to do some homebrew? Uh, that's perfectly fine because you can rename stuff, you can make new stuff, you can add it to a big old database so other people can actually look at it. Does D&D Beyond cost money? Uh, it doesn't have to. But you know what? If you do pay some money, we found this out actually uh, last week we played a long game on Memorial Day. And everyone came over and said, hey, it's Memorial Day. So I forgot both my dice and my sheet mm-hmm. uh, because I've been day drinking. Yep. And I said, you know what? I think... Maybe there might be a D&D Beyond thing that I can do. So I actually like logged on and was like, uh, share campaign. And then everyone, like I shared the link on our Discord and everyone was like, oh, wow, look, we're in and I can make a character and none of them are subscribers. And then I showed up and I was like, share champagne. <laughs> what? <laughs> also true. Yes, that happened as well. Uh, but even as free users, our group, our group actually has um, still access to a lot of stuff uh, independently of our campaign. So they still have access to like the basic rules. They've there's a ton of articles on there about different monsters and like different um, adventuring kind of options and places you can go. Uh, a lot of those are written by James J. Heck. Uh, and there's a bunch of videos on there too. Yeah, and it's always getting updated. Because uh, we keep being like, oh, hey, we can do this now. I like that there are people uh, in our group who are sort of tooling around it to figure it all out because 
some people have more time than others. Yeah, it was kind of funny when we when we gave everybody access on Memorial Day because people started complaining to me about things that uh, D and D Beyond doesn't do. To which I was always smugly saying, "Oh yeah, it does. No, just just give it a moment. You'll find it. It's there." Right. Assume it can do that, and you just don't know where to look. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, "Wait, there's no short rest button on my phone," and I'm like, "It's there." It's in that it's in that hamburger menu. Don't worry, it'll short rest for you. It was a little weird because I was like, uh, we're not recording this right now. This isn't <laughs> exactly. actually an ad, Shane. I know. <laughs> but it's all there. <laughs> and then Jim was a little drunk and a little baffled by the like haptic feedback on one of the like yes. <laughs> sliders for hit points. Like for the damage slider. It has like little haptic <laughs> like touch like vibration feedback when you slide it look the worst part of it was uh the two spellcasters that jim and angela were playing once they like loaded up characters they were like wait a minute there are all these spells i hadn't considered yet and i was like yeah okay all right spend half an hour and find new spells go for it just do that okay cool (laughs) yeah but i mean ultimately it makes everything easier right everybody has all their stuff at their at their you know one touch and they've got their sheet with them at all times as long as they have their phone i mean it didn't make it easier for all the monsters you guys fought no well yeah because synaptic static is a good spell yeah they found better (laughs) spells all right so if that sounds interesting to you you can check it all out at www.dndbeyond.com so shane speaking of not really knowing what you're doing but probably assuming that someone is smarter than you where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. And oh man, is there so much Prophet. So if you recall, uh, you guys are, you have sent your crew mercenaries to begin patrolling the streets of the North Manufactories, and you are trying to really tamp down on all the Technoganger activity. You guys have decided you're going to make a play for the North Manufactories, kind of a hotbed of Technoganger support. Yeah, I think this is... Uh, we had just gotten the Kroot, and we were like, wait, we have Kroot mercenaries now. Let's do something with mm-hmm. them. What yep. do we hate? Right, those techno gangers. We gotta get even with them for for blowing up our minds. So right. we're we're gonna buy their neighborhood and gentrify it, and then add crude. Well, well, I don't know. The crude are pretty wealthy Xenos. Uh, I think they do gentrify the place. Yeah, kind of a little bit. They, I mean, they certainly cut down on the uh, civil unrest until they don't. Um, so anyway, yeah. So you've got your crew. You start sending different survey teams out and begin like buying up literally entire blocks of this district, right? Just a full like economic takeover of one of the techno gangers' kind of core uh, neighborhoods. And everything went smoothly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Before the ink even dries, you start running into problems. Yeah, I mean, the, so the techno gangers understand that they are unable to fight directly with our crew so they're using underhanded tactics which is just like them uh, reports begin filtering in that the various worker communities of the manufactories are growing uneasy because of the creepy new xenos uh, which we assume are them getting riled up by the techno gangers mm-hmm. so egged on by them while you are then gobbling up all this land over the next few weeks public sentiment shifts radically and and when i say ra- radically i mean like just normal imperial levels of xenophobia against these crude. Uh, you start seeing rioting and violence breaking out. Um, ultimately, like 
rather than having the crew murder and eat all of these mostly innocent and manipulated, you know, workers, you decide it's probably better if we just uh, relocate them back to our ship and um, don't risk any further alienation. Yeah, mostly I didn't want to spend ammunition. <laughs> right. <laughs> But without the careful watch of the crew, the Technoganger saboteurs begin targeting our surveyors and holdings. They bomb several buildings. They kill several employees, which is disappointing because then we need to replace them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to train new employees. Ugh, hiring spree. Yep. Uh, for your gang or for your group, I think they're called auditions. <laughs> right, dance. <laughs> <laughs> so. Amid these bombings and civil unrest and all these other, you know, uh, normal happenings of a, of a rogue trader takeover in the North Manufactories, a new enemy uh, kind of reveals itself. Yeah, the Peacekeepers, that mercantile collective that uh, both we and our partners and the rest of Roth Enterprises are technically allied with, saw an opportunity. So they point a potent political machine directly at the North Manufactories. Uh, provide backing to the labor leaders and the civil organizers who are um, currently rallying the the locals to point their ire directly at us. Yeah, it's it's almost like, hey, this used to be a nice neighborhood, and then those guys moved in, and look at us. You could be rich and powerful like us. I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, they can't we're, all be that way. We're basically the kingpin <laughs> who showed True. up, and then another kingpin showed up and was like, "Well, I'm going to bomb a few buildings." <laughs> right? And we were like, "You can't bomb those buildings. We were going to bomb those buildings." And then you were like, "Okay, we're going to buy those buildings." And these people are like, "You can't buy those buildings. We were going to buy those buildings." Yeah, it's it's a whole little uh, a whole mire you found yourself in. But as the dust begins to settle, uh, you do find that you have firmed up your presence in the North Manufactories. Like you, you will be there for a while, even if you've paid a dear price for it. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're continuing our series on playing different player character races uh, as we discuss playing goblins. So Shane, are we um, being lazy and lumping together all three different types of goblins into one episode so that we only need to talk about each one for a little bit of time? No. What, really? Yes. Damn it, okay. <laughs> I but was we, hoping we were getting off easy. We are being lazy and only occasionally differentiating between the two and kind of making references whenever they're convenient. So we're being a little bit racist and just assuming that all goblins are goblins. No, we're just assuming that all goblins are dominated by hobgoblins. <laughs> I mean, again, there, you're not wrong. (laughs) It's a a high likelihood. It's not exclusive. (laughs) All right. So what are goblins? So goblins are small, green, ugly, disgusting fodder for low-level adventurers. Yep. That's that's basically how you most of us have met them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stumbling across them, very likely the absolute first enemy that you face in a campaign or maybe even in your like gaming career yeah yep you'll typically find them hiding in caves raiding villages being abused by their militant cousins the hobgoblins or you know their sneaky cousins the bugbears exactly <laughs> just waiting forlornly for a nilbog to show up and save them right or some adventurers to come along and end it all kill their boss <laughs> and maybe right. they can escape <laughs> So they're typically like squat and ugly. They've got spindly digits and large ears and kind of grinning toothy mouths and, you know, kind of gross eyes. 
Uh, traditionally, they also rode wolves or wargs, and they had a fear of horses. If you're thinking this already sounds like orcs, it's because Tolkien sort of like didn't really differentiate. Goblins and orcs were like pretty similar, the same kind of corrupted creature. Oh, so fun fact, actually, Tolkien invented the hobgoblin as the strong goblin. Ooh, I like it. I guess he used the term hobgoblin at some point. Oh, just to mean a goblin who is who big is stronger. And tough. Yeah, exactly. Because ah, uh, like hobgoblin actually meant like house or hearth goblin, meaning like the kind of cutesy pesty goblin rather than like a bigger, meaner goblin um, in like sort of its origin. I was reading about this. I did research. I apologize. That's very strange. Please don't do it again. I will not. All right. So in typical fantasy settings, goblins are organized into tribes or, you know, bands within cities uh, where might makes right. So they stay close to civilization so that they can raid and pilfer food and equipment. You don't usually have uh, goblin tribes that are uh, conducting agriculture. Right. Um, This, of course, almost always means that there is a big, tough hobgoblin in charge uh, mainly because the bugbears are really lazy yeah the lazy the, the bugbears are mean uh but they're lazy so they're not likely to take the mantle of leadership yeah unless they have to and then they don't usually stay there that long because they either wander off because they're very self-sufficient or some hobgoblin shows up and takes over right um and then the other thing also that's common with goblins is that they're led or subservient to a non-goblin right so some evil sorcerer comes along or you know whatever the meanest bully on the block comes through and like hey goblins you work for me right although you know you can't have like the goblin king right like uh but that's david bowie and not really a goblin <laughs> oh is that a uh, labyrinth reference yes yes of course it is okay, the good. goblin king but there's also the goblin king or a goblin king i guess from magic the gathering oh okay yeah. fair plus one plus one to all goblins that's uh oh and they gain mountain walk red creature yes that is the full extent of well, no, it's not the full extent of my Magic the Gathering knowledge, but I'm going to stop right there. Okay, good. Um, and then in some settings, you will also find that goblins are like the alternate race of tinkerers. So they're kind of often like the evil version of gnomes. Mm-hmm. Their technology... I would say the ugly gnomes, but gnomes are ugly too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's their technology, rather than being like kind of all like steampunky and gear oriented, tends to, be, tends to be ramshackle and dangerous or downright explosive. Yeah, like in 40K, these are the, um, what What are the tinker orcs? Uh, well, Gretchen are the goblin equivalent in 40K, mm. uh, but all orc technology is ramshackle and explosive. <laughs> there are other settings where goblins are mercantile. Uh, Harry Potter, for example, the goblins run the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have them running merchant guilds. Uh, like the, the general idea is that like they're not dumb. They are crafty. They are conniving. Um, they they are creative, uh, although it, it's usually directed toward a sinister or selfish purpose. Like they don't really create art typically. Right. And then if you want sort of the more modern take on goblins, um, Volo's Guide to Monsters has a whole chapter just on their modern representation and sort of how that applies. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. In our review, it was a, that was a really nice section, really fleshed out. What about like in real life, where did goblins come from? So they're definitely not a D&D thing. Um, they were kind of like old history, sort of real world, um, sort of Middle Ages type stuff. They were a term for like uh, little malignant things, but more like less than, you know, steal and eat your children and more like household pests. Um, and like I said, like the hobgoblins were like the diminutive form of that. 
Um, and like there's sort of like a interchangeability with trolls or fae in, in different cultures. So like goblin is just kind of a general term for something that's somewhat malevolent but not very threatening. Yeah, like uh, a bugbear. You know, a bugbear isn't something that eats you. It's something that sort of like annoys you or bothers you. Right. Um, and then in D&D terms, they have been present in every uh, edition of the game and in the first monster manual equivalent of every edition. So they have been a core monster since the very beginning in the white box. They've also been a playable race in every single edition, although in uh, first edition uh, AD&D, they were only published in Dragon Magazine. Uh, and then there are, of course, some variants of goblins. Um, in Ravenloft, you have the goblins with a Y, and rather than being like a true race, they are humans who were cursed or like had a spell cast upon them. Now they're these evil little creatures who, you know, dutifully serve their evil master. In Eberron, uh, which of course has the best version of almost all races, uh, the hobgoblins once ruled the Dakani Empire, which stretched across pretty much all of Corvair. Uh, before humans actually got to the continent. Uh, but they were undermined by an invasion from Zoriat and the Dalkir, and they all, well, most of them started going mad, and then humans showed up and finished them off. So now Dargoon is the last kind of vestige of the Dakani Empire, and goblins are very commonplace there because that sort of hobgoblin bugbear goblin structure is still in place. Um, but as well, like, goblins are spread throughout Corvair, and they're mostly commonplace in cities and they're just another race because of course nothing in eberron is defined like no alignment is defined by a race right they're not necessarily evil though they are almost necessarily greedy (laughs) (laughs) and conniving like gnomes (laughs) all right so what are some reasons to actually play a goblin so i think the biggest one here is that you want to be the monster right like Goblins, unlike, you know, Drow and some of the other, like, sort of evil races, are treated as monsters, right? They are a threat. They exist to be, like, removed from the neighborhood. Um, they're, They're not bargained with. They're not sort of dealt with. They aren't treated as the evil equivalent. They're treated as the the trash race that needs to be taken out right they're the droids that can't come into the bar mm-hmm. because like we don't serve their kind if they're even noticed at all um but if you are noticed like no one thinks good things of you in a typical fantasy setting right you could also play a goblin if you want to play up the gross or dirty aspects of them the the outsider even if you aren't necessarily playing a character that is gross and dirty um, mainstream society will think of you like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in mean, some games, like Don D&D games, like Shadow of the Demon Lord leans into this heavily with Goblin. Um, and like the Goblin race has like, you know, random names like Snot. Great, that says a lot about you. Or at least about your parents. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're um, automatically uncouth. Right. Uh, even if you don't intend to be because you, you're just not familiar with like mores and you know maybe you think like the the culture of like this highbrow city is just a little too stuck up but even if you don't even if you do want to try to fit in it's difficult and like that's an arc for you yeah you know the goblin is the one who eats uh with his hands instead of using fork and knife yeah the goblin is the one that uh that can eat slop right like a like actually like a pig and not get sick that's it like they go to they feed slop to the horses and the goblin is eating out of the horse's feed tray. And like 
prob not maybe not be fine with it, but like pro can probably get by. Whereas like a human will probably die of dysentery. <laughs> right. Though I suppose the goblin probably isn't going to eat with the horses. What with their racial hatred of horses. Yeah, and their plus one attack against horses. That's probably an old thing that probably doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like for the past fifteen twenty years, <laughs> they'll probably just eat the horses. Right. All right. It also might be that you want to play a character who gets to punch above their weight class yeah in fifth edition that's like literal right because you get bonuses to damage against bigger creatures but also just kind of the figurative right like goblins are in even in their own societies tend to be the lowest cast um and within goblin society like there's also a you know just within goblin families there's a caste system as well yeah and like i mentioned before you will often be over like if you are tolerated you will often be often be overlooked which can be a cool place to be um, if you either want to like break out of that mold or you do want to play a character class or archetype that prefers to stay in the shadows, like you can put on an outfit like a servant and no one is going to bat an eye that like you are the scullery maid. You know, it makes perfect sense. It's much tougher when you're an Asimar. Right. And then I think kind of leaning on that is the, you can also play up sort of the sense of escape and freedom, right? Like the, the, very idea that you have to punch above your weight class um in goblin society like you can be free of that burden of being the lowest of the low um by just kind of entering more civilized society if you can um get over the stereotype and all of that yeah as an adventurer it's a chance for you to prove yourself um both like mechanically speaking but also just like in story is lots of opportunities and people tend not to care like if you're healing them that you are a goblin or like pulling arrows out of their chest right um it's also good if you want to be like a revolutionary right like goblins are very mistreated as a race of people so you have an opportunity to kind of be the folk hero or the the freedom fighter who changes all of that yes goblin rights the simone bolivar of goblin kind the uh right the Gretchen Revolutionary Committee. <laughs> you got to get your own Hermione, though. Yeah. <laughs> though, um, you know, keep in mind, you could be a revolutionary in the sense of you're trying to change goblin society. You could also be a revolutionary in that you want to change the adjacent humanoid societies so they stop picking on lowly goblins. Yeah, snot for everybody. Right. Okay, there's <laughs> gourmet snot. I am trying to elevate the cuisine of my people. <laughs> That's a what is a, a a snot in every pot and a and a warg in every garage. <laughs> it's it's goblin fusion, right? <laughs> All right, let's talk about physiology. Uh, and like it's important to re remember that when we are talking about quote unquote the average goblin, we we are talking about um, you know the the stats in the monster manual or or the PHB. Uh, when you are considering this stuff, think about whether the goblin that you are playing is average and like actually adheres to type or is completely different. Um, most of the other goblins you know will fit within these parameters, so that is something to like play with or against. Yeah, so I think the first obvious thing about physiology is going to be the color of your skin. I mentioned that they're green, but I think even in the 
monster manual in fifth edition they're actually orange right um so like they can kind of shift in tone from anywhere on the color spectrum and i think as you get into some of the goblin sub races they even get into like blue hues and different things so you could literally be any color you want yeah uh if it can show up as an infection right (laughs) then a goblin can be that color anywhere from bruises to blood yeah uh you're also small um like mechanically you are small size which uh does have some repercussions in terms of the kinds of weapons that you can use uh but in 5e it's nice because it doesn't affect uh the damage that that you deal for the most part uh it also means you can ride normal like medium-sized creatures which is probably most of your party yeah i mean goblins are like three to four feet tall they're like 40 to 80 pounds they're just kind of pint-sized adventurers um, but they're agile as well. They have their full movement speed. They don't pay a penalty for that. Right. Now, like those dwarves who you hate. Right. Um, and then to kind of lean into that, you also get a plus two bonus to dex and you get the nimble escape ability, which lets you disengage or hide as a bonus action. Which is like most of one of the rogue's best features. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that you're actually tougher than you look. Yeah, you're you're little. Um, you get underestimated but you got a plus one to a con uh, which makes you tougher to kill than most yeah like a, a culture of physical abuse it turns out breeds a pretty hearty stock huh interesting <laughs> Weird. For, for some reason i can uh, take a punch and i deal extra damage against things that are bigger than me yeah yeah that's the fury of the small ability which is once per short rest you add your bonus uh, you add bonus damage to an attack or spell equal to your level you're also very comfortable in the dark uh, probably spend a great deal of time uh, underground so you get dark vision and then i think the other just sort of you know not mechanical piece of goblin physiology but that kind of adds all this together is that goblins are very adept at being outdoors right like a lot of times like if goblins aren't immediately next to you know a human village that they can raid like they're making do in the wilderness right they're in the lowlands or the steppes and just kind of like operating out of a cave and and maybe you know um highwaymen on a on a trade route or something right but like being out in the woods or generally being outdoors is is nothing to a goblin right all right so let's talk about culture because i think this is actually one of the most fun things about goblins is you can go as deep as you want into culture or you can keep it very surface level yeah, so the story of goblins really starts with the tragic history of their god. <laughs> As is so often the case. Their, their pantheon really, I mean, it, it just really does a lot of mental harm to the goblins. So, I, I mean, you know, who else would make goblins? Right. <laughs> so they had a god of order uh, whose name was Kerborgbiag. Uh, Kerborgbiag. Uh, good friends with Blibblibloop. Uh-huh. Uh, but Kerborgiag was conquered by another god, uh, Maglubiet, hmm. the Conqueror. Uh, and oh, wow, that's it's good. It's a good title, right? Right. Uh, Kerborgbiag, uh, the Ordered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, as such, goblins kind of see it as their fate that they are because their god was their deity was conquered that they too must be conquered that they are a species who exists to be on the low end of the totem pole i mean Meglubiet was the hobgoblins god and so like the hobgoblins all think it is the goblins position to be conquered by the hobgoblins right (laughs) so it's kind of self-fulfilling right uh 
So, yeah, so goblins see themselves as inferior. They expect for bigger, meaner, smarter, more ambitious races to direct them in how to do evil better and punish them for being so bad. Why did we not talk about this in the lawful evil episode? <laughs> Get yourself some goblins. Come on. Just, they're just a a whole culture that expects to be bullied. It's yeah. Real, it's real sad. They're way better than hirelings. You don't have to hire them. Yeah, exactly. They're just lings. You just beat one of them real bad and the other <laughs> ones just fall in line. Um, but within goblin tribes, and this is sort of independent of, you know, whether they're being ruled by, you know, a hobgoblin or being ruled by an evil cleric or being ruled by the you know, tyrannical autocrat of a nation. Um, Or just the day-to-day drudgery of having to go to a nine-to-five job. (laughs) Right. Fighting your way through traffic. The true true arch enemy. Right. Screaming inside and yet not being able to do anything about it. (laughs) Does this damage bonus against creatures bigger than me work against CEOs? Uh, Only if they're large or uh, medium size or larger. I'm going to go with yes. (laughs) If it matches their egos. Uh, but goblin tribes are they they organize by family unit. So the like the goblin family stays intact. Like you know, consanguinity is important to goblins. Um, but then within their family units, they kind of each family falls into a caste system. So at the top of their caste are lashers who are responsible for battle and strategy and taming beasts and sort of doing all the like thoughtful activities required to maintain a goblin society then you got the hunters who seek out prey animals and are the primary warriors that you're going to be slaughtering by the dozens as you raid their camp and then you have gatherers who are responsible for feeding the tribe by like searching the wilderness checking all of their traps for game stealing um goods from other humanoids or like just cooking you know like getting meals prepared and all of that and at the bottom, you've got the pariahs who do the bulk of the grunt work. That's cleaning, the hard labor, and the managing of the slaves. Yeah, so we haven't really talked about goblin slavery because I don't really want to emphasize this as a point. But that is one of the things they do with people they capture is they just turn them into slave labor. Yeah, which, like, it makes you go, hey, I showed up and uh, they had people in a pen. So I didn't use Detect Evil, I just assumed, right? and I killed them all. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, that's the thing is you can't do that if you're not evil as a race, right. you know? So yeah. if you've got evil evil goblins that don't need to be redeemed, sure, slave goblins, or slave-holding goblins. But if you want them to be kind of, you know... Morally gray. Then you kind of yeah. got to yeah. give up the slavery thing. I've got to give up the slavery thing. Yeah. And I think with these four casts, it is important to uh, remember that even if you're not dealing with goblins who live out in the wilderness on their own, um, goblins who like organize themselves into like a gang inside a city are probably doing these same kinds of four jobs, just, um, you know, tweaked for city life. Like you got the people who are planning strategy and then, you know, the ones who are actually doing the fighting and then people who are like sneak thieves. Yeah. And uh, like pickpockets or maintaining the lair. Right. The janitors. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, managing the slaves. Oh, well, we moved to the city, but we didn't get any better. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So another aspect of goblin society is that magic is pretty rare. Um, goblins generally aren't smart enough to learn magic and they don't really have magical blood and 
Um, and also not like charismatic enough to to learn magic or wise enough to learn magic. Right. Uh, well, it's their their deities are all selfish, so they don't grant their power to their clerics very often. <laughs> and um, warlock patrons aren't dumb enough to trust them that they'd hold up their end of the bargain. <laughs> <laughs> so like they're just kind of screwed. <laughs> Uh, but on the rare occasion that magic, you know, there is a magic practitioner um, in a goblin tribe, uh, they're called Booyogs, uh, and they immediately ascend cast to the Lashers. So it's like really nice for a goblin family if they can have a magical kid. Um, they move right up the cast system, and uh, and those Booyogs kind of have their own micro casts within it. Um, you know, but anyway, th- the idea being that if you are playing a goblin and you happen to use magic, you are a rare goblin, um, certainly for goblin society, and that grants you kind of a certain social standing that might not be readily apparent to outsiders. Yeah, the only people who can kick you around now are bugbear clerics and hobgoblin wizards. Right. <laughs> uh, although um, it's actually pretty common to have a the, the lone goblin spellcaster be the person who is in charge or like the top advisor to whoever the goblin chief is. Right. Um, and then I think from a cultural perspective, kind of bringing it back around, the other thing you got to keep in mind is like if a tribe of goblins happens to be independent now, right, they have like a goblin leader, um, that leader is still going to be kind of autocratic. And it's probably just a matter of time before somebody comes and knocks him off and either another goblin ascends in his place or more likely some outsider takes over their tribe and, and directs them. Yeah, this is a moment in time. Yeah, <laughs> they're 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 always between being bullied (laughs) you know you're just a couple of persuasion checks away from being in charge of a goblin tribe so consider is it worth it yeah exactly so in terms of family ties um those are important to goblins within their own caste system but they're almost never emphasized within adventures that pcs play yeah it's interesting because the very first um the very first adventure that was published for 5th edition, the starter set, right, has a goblin tribe at the beginning that's ruled by, um, I think, a hobgoblin. And there are roleplay elements of that in which you can engage them and have one of the goblins kind of lead you through the cave and sort of be your ally. At no point does it mention, like, family or anything. There's still, even then, even when it gives you roleplay prompts, treats them as just kind of faceless evil, or not faceless, but like familyless evil, you know? Yeah, like um, the descriptions haven't advanced much since the very early days of D&D, honestly. Like if they get a mention, then it'll be, all right, here's the stats of the leader. Uh, here's the, the junk and trinkets and like small magic items that they have on them. Uh, here are the two hobgoblins who like you know, watch the place and provide muscle. Uh, here's nine goblins with uh, arrows and daggers. Uh, oh, and there's 40 non-combatants. Right. That, I don't know, gather fungus. Right. I guess, <laughs> and run away. And then they're just there to be your moral dilemma. Exactly. But uh, if you do bring this into play, uh, family units do tend to remain intact. Uh, the families move together through the cast. So Shane, like you said, you uh, get a kid who uh can use magic and suddenly everyone's running the place of course you're probably not good at running the place because you were a pariah previously yep um and then that also means like you know goblins are parents right like they have a parent-child relationship as well so that's always kind of an emotional pull um that you can introduce for a, a goblin yeah although um lifespans are pretty short 
So yeah, they're like sixty years. So uh, yeah, I mean, assuming that you don't live near adventurers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's. I wonder if that's like a practical limit or like a right. biological limit. <laughs> no country for old goblins. <laughs> right. In captivity, goblins can live to be eight hundred years exactly. old. It turns out. <laughs> All right, so the next thing we usually talk about in these series is how goblins interact uh, with other species. Unlike most of the other races that we cover, most of the interactions goblins are going to have are actually with other goblins. Mm -hmm. Um, And mostly uh, the interaction is fear. Uh, They're afraid of hobgoblins. They're afraid afraid of bugbears. They're afraid of any other goblin that is bigger than them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're, again weirdly into it right like (laughs) the relationship is abusive but it's safer to have the protection of a smart goblinoid than it is to have nothing i guess i mean you know when everything out there in the wild either wants to eat you or kill you for xp like i guess it's a smart decision yeah Mm. so one thing that i think is um interesting and a little bit unique about goblins is that they don't really have specific kind of racial interactions with other humanoids right like they have very kind of intricate relationships with bugbears and hobgoblins um but like all humanoids are kind of the same to them like well except for dwarves a lot of them hate dwarves sure but i think that's just a proximity thing right they both like caves live in the same place yeah yeah i don't know that that's actually like even that's just Everybody who's exposed to goblins hates goblins. <laughs> well, so consider if you if you're like playing a city goblin or you have goblins in the cities, like do they hate dwarves here in the cities because they probably don't cross paths much actually. Right. But, you know, they're always going to be seen as a threat on the fringes of civilization, right? Like goblins are like their societies spring up on the margins where they have a chance to kind of pilfer and steal from whatever society is nearby. Yeah, like if you are in a city and you see a bunch of goblins, this is a bad neighborhood, <laughs> right? Or it's about to become a bad or, neighborhood. <laughs> it was it was a nice neighborhood. It's, it's not anymore. So yeah, they're they're kind of at best they're a nuisance, right? They're kind of an undesirable neighbor, uh, and at worst they could be an actual true danger if they're led by somebody with some sort of intellect or strategy. Yeah, so most humanoids uh, end up seeing them as actual monsters and not sentient creatures which is something that you can play with you can go in one direction or the other you know maybe they are something just to exterminate in this particular game uh, or maybe they have like deeper feelings and uh, more potential than they're normally portrayed as having and because that means that most humanoids are likely to shoot first and ask questions later like keep in mind what that means for a goblin psyche right like you've probably grown up your entire life being aware that if you see a human or an elf that you need to be very careful and either get them before they get you or sneak away quietly right there's natural selection at play here too right like curious friendly goblins die yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah my cousin he was a nice guy (laughs) emphasis on was yeah, yeah. Uh, baby goblins who are like, ooh, elves. They seem really nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, and they've got glowing lights in their hands. I should learn about the... <laughs> and even if uh, people don't end up just outright killing the goblin, by not seeing them really as like a full humanoid with like feelings and motivations and a life, uh, it means that most people 
probably don't feel that bad about like tricking a goblin or lying to a goblin or taking advantage of a goblin. Uh, so that's another thing that, that you need to deal with. Like people just don't have a ton of empathy for you. Yeah. And likewise, like even if they're willing to like make an, make a deal with you or negotiate with you or talk to you, they're probably going to expect for you to betray them because uh, they don't trust you either. So do it first. <laughs> right. So play into type. Prisoner's Dilemma. Look, they thought I was a Chekhov's goblin where I was placed here. And now they're going to learn a lesson about not assuming that all goblins are evil. But right. I have turned the tables on them and picked their pockets and ran. Didn't expect that, did you? All right, so we touched on this a bit earlier, but what are some reasons a goblin might go adventuring? Uh, you are escaping servitude. You know uh, yeah, what? maybe that's just your life, but yes. Yeah, it, it sucks being bullied by these hobgoblins. I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm hitching my way into the next band of adventurers that rolls through. Uh, it might be that uh, you are out for revenge. Uh, some band of adventurers rolled through, uh, killed a bunch of people, and now I want to go out and find them. Or you want revenge on whoever it was that was ruling your tribe and you want to go get enough power that you can be the biggest bully on the block. Uh, it might be that uh, you failed at that so far and you're just an outcast. They kicked you out because you were terrible or you betrayed somebody uh, or maybe you're just the weakest of the lot and they felt like, eh, why feed you? You're not worth it. Yeah. Uh, you could have also been separated at birth. Um, so I think, you know, goblins can be nomadic. Um, and if they were, you know, it might be that they lose a child or that, you know, maybe a child is spared when adventurers come uh, raiding through a cave or something like that. Yeah, and like how many paladins were like, we can't kill these goblin children, but like murdered every other adult and then left. Yeah, there, there may be a chance for this one. Right. We're not going to help them in any way. Right. Like if they survive the winter, we'll see. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think you were... In most settings, a goblin was probably raised as less than a child, but more than a pet, you know, maybe a curiosity uh, in the household. Yeah, I like that. That has so many inbuilt motivations. Mm -hmm. um, like we said before, you could be a revolutionary. Like you are out here to prove that goblins are more than they appear. Um, or, you know, maybe you're just going to prove that <laughs> we're actually much more effective at murdering all of you. Yeah, the question is, who are you proving it to? Are you proving <laughs> it to humans or are you proving it to goblins? <laughs> oh, my <glubiet. laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then you could also be a Booyag who is out of control of the tribe, right? Like you have you have this power that is rare. And rather than investing it in goblin kind, you decide to take it for yourself. Uh, take your talents on the road. Yeah, this works really nicely for um, sorcerers, uh, the rare goblin warlock, or I think a cleric of like one of the more traditional gods, like you know who was converted in in some some way, or mm -hmm. like just had sort of a um, a, and a divine epiphany. Yeah. So for classes in five, you've got plus two decks, plus one con, which makes you good at so many different things. So many martial classes. Yeah, weirdly. Um ranger you're a great ranger yeah i mean especially beastmaster is super flavorful because that's one of the kind of old school flavors of goblin is the whole riding wolves or riding wargs mm -hmm. and you can ride it because your beasts can be medium yep and also you get um most of the rogues cunning action which the ranger doesn't get so like you've kind of got best of both worlds mm-hmm 
Uh, which actually brings us to Rogue, which is flavorful for certain because lots of goblins are known for being sneaky thieves. But it's kind of suboptimal because you end up losing the benefit of Nimble Escape. Uh, cunning Action just gives you the same options plus others. So you can only ever use one at a time. Right. You get Sneak Attack, but like I actually kind of prefer having a goblin go like the fighter route because you still get a lot of the um, Rogue like goodies because like you can take stealth and as a fighter you'll just have more hit points and you can stab people a bunch yeah uh and then monk works yeah monk is a weird fit i think for goblins um that would definitely be a fish out of water kind of character um definitely played against type but i think i mean i think that would be fun right like a a, a weird fun character yeah and i think it works well for a goblin who has sort of like learned martial arts on their own because like they weren't allowed to have weapons which is how martial arts developed in the first place right um and then of course barbarian makes a lot of sense um especially for kind of more wilderness uh kind of oriented goblins um but also just like if you really lean into rage uh certainly a goblin with any sense of of a greater worldview has got reasons to be angry (laughs) i also like a druid right because you only really need one stat and you can spend a lot of your time not as a goblin if like that is something that bothers you from a from a flavor perspective right you either shouldn't learn magic because magic isn't like a goblin-y thing uh or you should go out and be the best damn magician you can be right because magic isn't a goblin-y thing and you got to see how this plays out yeah (laughs) you know what hasn't uh, worked out really well so far goblin-y stuff (laughs) right (laughs) we should all play against type so in combat, uh, you're going to be, well, you you are geared toward playing somewhat cowardly, but very fierce because uh, you're able to escape and hide pretty quickly. You can disengage uh, or hide as a bonus action, which means you can sort of leap out and stab somebody and not worry about your uh, positioning because you can just dart away quickly. Yep, but then you're vicious when you're actually forced to fight, right? Fury of the Small adds a big hit of damage all at once, kind of could be very surprising. Certainly a group of goblins all putting it into the same target is going to uh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> d- dish the pain out as it were right oh there's 17 goblins in here but really what could they do there's 17 level three goblins <laughs> they all deal one <laughs> plus three uh you'll tend to prefer terrain you know really well um where you've got advantages and you know stereotypically that'll be caves uh, but also like you know underground areas um, places where there are lots of like nooks to hide, um, warehouses, um, you know, uh, indoor locations with lots of small rooms, castles. Yeah, forests at night are another good one. Like any place you can take advantage of your uh, dark vision is a natural fit. Uh, and then you like strength in numbers. Like we said, get 17 goblins in a blaze and you can kill almost anything. And it's pretty easy to get 17 goblins in there because you all fit in a crate. Yeah, but I mean, like as a goblin, you're trained to go call for help not you know fight bravely and hold the line right Right. so (laughs) if your companions are uh losing their fight you're likely gonna cut and run and find help rather than you know being the fourth one down in the pile as for skills uh invest in stealth there is pretty much no reason that as a goblin you don't want to be good at hiding no matter what kind of goblin you're playing um and then you know the other ones acrobatics uh sleight of hand are stereotypically goblin-y so being as they're not super magically oriented, um, goblins tend not to have any magic items. I think in some editions there have been, you said, goblin slaying items. Yeah, um, you have items themed. that show up that like work against you, 
which I think is kind of a cool idea, actually, like a goblin wielding a weapon that deals extra damage to goblins or like even like a Lord of the Rings weapon that like glows in the presence of goblins. That just means that you have a, a sword, sword that always glows, right? <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like the idea of like a goblin society built on like an old elven ruin that just uses like swords as like ever burning lanterns. <laughs> it's just these are the street lights. <laughs> I mean, I really like the idea of having a goblin slaying weapon because that means you can actually be, you know, king of the yeah king yeah of the hill mm-hmm. by virtue of you are more dangerous to your erstwhile allies than you are to any outside adventurer right like why are you the one who's in charge you were the only one brave enough to pick up the glowy sword right <laughs> turns out it kills anyone else like any other goblin in one hit um so then the other thing to think about for goblin items is all the sort of tinker stuff right so whether that is mechanically represented as items that you're maybe tinkering together um if that is appropriate for your setting um it might just be like you have goblin versions of various things which are maybe a little more volatile or maybe a little shabbier or maybe a little you know strung together with uh with shoelaces and and bubblegum yeah anything gnomes can do goblins can do more explodey (laughs) (laughs) oh okay (laughs) also yes i mean i I do like like take any gnome society in a traditional fantasy setting like uh lantan in forgotten realms or even zalargo in eberron and make it dumb (laughs) yeah like make it make it goblins and make it so that like things are sparking and like there's a lot of collateral damage and like you know 10% 10% of the people working on this stuff die or like get get horribly burned and like you've got a really great goblin society yep. <laughs> and just like spin out from there like how things change like it's I mean it, it's America with no OSHA so it's America right, right? <laughs> it's just it's just a lot of you know molten metal and workplace safety hazards right nothing is elegant like okay we we were drilling well actually we just decided it's easier to blow up the mountain and then just pick stuff up where it fell <laughs> exactly <laughs> Goblin mining team. Right. Three barrels of, of TNT <laughs> Look, and a cigar. <laughs> Wait, you're not supposed to light that until they're in place. What are you doing? Wait, don't tell him. He's my uncle. This will, this will work out well for me. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, wrapping this up, have you ever played a goblin, Isha? Interestingly, not as a PC, but I've played so many goblins as NPCs. Yeah. Yeah. And not just like uh cannon fodder, right? Like goblins with personalities who, you know, are parlaying with the party. Yeah, I think I've only ever played a goblin in Shadows of the Demon Lord or Shadow of the Demon Lord, uh, which kind of feels like cheating because there's only like four races. That's okay. Goblins are cool. Um, I, I love to play them um, alternating. Like I love to play them against type honestly right like wow that goblin but it's a bit like drow where like the goblin who's playing against type is now sort of like roach yeah so it actually kind of is fun sometimes to really lean into like the goblininess of them um and also i would say like keep in mind when you're playing goblins like the the reason that they have evolved into this particular um set of stereotypes is like people want a fantasy race where you can dump all the crappy stereotypes yep where you don't have to like make a person do that and like right. okay good i'm glad there's a place for that exactly <laughs> like they're tragic but they they don't have to be tragic you can it's okay to just have the loser in the setting right you know right like in, in most settings like the goblins deserved it and yeah. like if you don't want them to deserve it that's fine too like make them um like poor and downtrodden right but also just make them awful that's cool yeah all right do you hear that Ishan? uh nope but my purse is gone. 
So we're just gonna have to find and kill that goblin. Okay. Well, I could use a new goblin skin shoe. No, no, this probably smell really bad. All right. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge and figure out how we're gonna track him down. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And don't forget to join us on Discord, where we are still growing. Inexplicably, yes. (laughs) Always shocked. It is more active every single day, which is great to see. So, this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Iron GM, LLC. The Grimmer Space Kickstarter is now live. It is bullets versus fireballs against a backdrop of alien horrors. You know, it sounds like something goblins would be pretty good at, Mm -hmm. actually. Uh, I had bullets, but now my magazine is exploding, and so now it's fireballs. Right. (laughs) So this is a sci-fi horror Starfinder setting that comes from the award-winning game designers Lou Agresta and Roan Barton. It was developed by actor Sean Astin of Lord of the Rings and Stranger Things. You know, he appears in a promo video for Grimmer Space. So oh, if you want to really see nice. his latest role as oh, yeah. Pitchman. Is it on IMDb? Because it should be. <laughs> I don't think so, but it is on Facebook. I'm going to put it on IMDb. Okay. So the citizens of Grimmer Space are veterans when it comes to fighting alien abominations from the depths. Evil Sunder Mages, who are near-immortal demigods of sorcery, ripped into the cosmos recently through a vast purple Terran space called the Seath. And as the Seath leaks magic into their galaxy for the very first time, the Sunder Mages plot to conquer the five distinct technological civilizations of Grimmer Space from the shadows. Soon, science and magic will come to world-ending blows. See, here's how you know that the Sunder Mages are, are not good people. They're just, like, letting their magic leak into the galaxy, like, just spilling all over the place, not worrying about, like, who's getting infected with heresy and chaos. I mean, they call themselves, presumably, Sunder Mages. Maybe, uh... There's only one thing you can do as a Sunder Mage. <laughs> it's Sunder stuff. Sunder doesn't exactly put things back together. Yeah, but you cut stuff in half. That can be very useful. Okay. I, uh, am a mage who specializes in magic that chops vegetables. Oh, yeah, no, I cut that into half, mm-hmm. and then half and half, mm-hmm. and then half again, and then actually I just smashed it to bits. I'm a Sunder Mage. Look, What's up? I've decided I'm going to be a nuclear physicist, but I will, of course, call myself a Sunder Mage okay. because I split atoms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The world's tiniest Sunder Mage. <laughs> All right, so you can find out more and check out the Kickstarter at GrimmerSpace.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Bugbear Bear. Uh, say what, what? It's a bugbear who's a bear. Oh, bear. a bear who's a bugbear. A bear who is a bugbear. Uh, yes, a bugbear who prefers to fight in wild shape, and why wouldn't they? Because... What bugbears? What is the defining characteristic of bugbears in Five E? Uh, they've got reach. That's yeah. their thing. Extra yeah, five reach. feet of reach. Who doesn't want to be a bear with reach? Uh, reach and bear. I like it. All right. So what's the build? The build is Moon Druid Six, Battlemaster Fighter Three, Totem Barbarian Eleven. So from Druid, we are getting third level spells. Great stuff like Guidance, Cure Wounds, Healing Spirit, mm-hmm. Flaming Sphere, Call Lightning. All of which you can do before you turn into a bear with a bonus action. You're right. Uh, we will also get Wild Shape, which we can use for three hours, twice per short rest. 
uh, and we can use creatures up to CR2. Including those with a swim speed. Yes. Uh, so what's the best option, Shane? Just give us, just give us, I don't know, like one. Uh, huge polar bear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, which is... Which must be a higher CR than the regular polar bear, nope. right? <laughs> it is identical to the, the polar bear, except that it is huge in size, and it has a few more hit points. So I said, why not take that? Why would you not take it? It is available from Tales from the Yawning Portal, if you are so inclined. Uh, it's just harder to grapple. <laughs> right. <laughs> and more people can ride it. Uh, alternatively, if you would like to still see in the dark as a bear, then you can take the cave bear, uh, which is otherwise identical, but large sized and has dark vision. Right. Identical to the normal polar bear, except it has uh, dark vision and the polar bear can swim. Yeah. You also get a bunch of spell slots for self-healing, although... Keep in mind, if you have healing spirit, it might actually be way more worth it to just survive this battle and like lose your uh, form to just cast healing spirit and give everybody 10d6 hit points. Right. Then from three levels of Battlemaster Fighter, we'll get Action Surge, Second Wind. Uh, it gives you extra action in combat as well as some extra hit points. And then, of course, we're here for martial maneuvers. Uh, you get your choice, but, of course, lunging is great if you want an additional five feet. Fifteen-foot reach bear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, because the huge polar bear still only has a five-foot reach. Yep. It's a it's a huge polar T-Rex. Yes. It's <laughs> huge bear, tiny arms. <laughs> uh, menacing attack is great, right? That's the one that potentially frightens people, and you are a huge polar bear. I Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, precision attack, the good ones. Right. For Barbarian, Rage, which is great. Uh, reckless attack, so you can get um, advantage on all of those melee attacks and danger sense. Yeah, the nice thing about Reckless Attack is that bears only have 12 AC anyway, so you're going to get hit. Yeah, like, like who cares? Just, just take the advantage. Right, they're hitting you on a two. Right. Uh, you'll take Bear Totem so that your huge polar bear is resistant to fire damage. Uh, and then, you know, take anything at level six. I mean, I always like eagle because you can see well for a mile, but um, tiger is good for two more skills. So at fifth level, you'll get extra attack, and then you'll also get feral instinct. Yeah, that'll give you uh, advantage on your initiative checks. And then what we're here for at 11 is relentless rage, which is when you drop to zero hit points and you're not killed outright, you can make a DC 10 constitution saving throw and instead be dropped to one hit point. Wait, Shane, I'm confused because I will be in bear form. I, As far as I'm reading it, and I admit I'm reading it as narrowly as possible in order to make this silly build work, but that will prevent you from reverting to your normal form. Uh, you will instead be at one hit point and you could be a bear forever. Um, it works for me. Uh, and of course, also, as soon as you uh, your turn comes around again, you can pop a bonus action to drop a spell slot and heal a bunch. Right. So, hey, it's going to be really hard to pop that bear form, which is good because you're not getting any better than huge polar bear. Yeah, exactly. All right, for leveling order, I think knock out your six drew levels because you want to be a bear. Got to be a bear. Uh-huh. And then barbarian five for extra attack. Yep. Fighter three, and then finish out barbarian with your relentless rage capstone. All right, so who is your bugbear bear, Ishan? Uh, it is, of course, the polar bugbear. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yes, there's huge polar bear, but um, my bugbear in normal form has white fur. She's an albino. Albino bugbear bear. Mm -hmm, exactly. And, you know, 
Uh, she learned long ago that um, it's much easier to hide <laughs> in, in snowy areas. Winter's always better. But the only thing of her that people could see was her dark black nose. So she covered it with a snowy white paw. And then one day, one day, high in the Arctic, she met a polar bear and said, you, you are basically my soulmate. We're the same. We're the same. And I am going to well eat you. And then I can turn into you. <laughs> Macabre. Yes, right. You'll always be with me in my <laughs> second stomach. I'm just going to assume bugbears have multiple stomachs. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Great. Don't tell me how to play my game. Okay. Shane, what about your bugbear bear? So my bugbear, prior to becoming the bugbear bear, mm-hmm. uh, was isolated from a typical goblin society. I think he was left behind as a young kit. Uh, during the rapture, yeah. Uh, sure, the goblin rapture in which they all went to the cities um, and uh, and instead kind of became a natural student of nature, uh, not out of any sort of formal training or, or even like being tutored by a hermit or anything, but just kind of growing up somewhat uh, feral and uh, attuned to nature by necessity, um, kind of gained the uh, trust of the spirit of nature. Right, which is you know not a usual source for magic, uh, certainly not a very gobliny source of magic, but one which works for my bugbear bear, and then eventually, of course, became a bear. And when you can be a bear, you just want to be a better bear. So my best bug- the be all the bear you can be. Yeah, exactly. In the army, the army of nature. Yeah, the green army. The, the well, I mean, fighter three. Look. Probably joined the army. I mean, maybe. At least joined up with a hobgoblin. <laughs> right. The hobgoblin army. Yes. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week for 201 weeks. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about underground adventures. And in a character creation forge, we're building the Sapper. Well, that's it for episode 201 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Cobalt Press loves monsters and their lairs, and this shows in its latest book, Eldritch Layers for 5th edition. It's much better than um, the book I was considering writing, which was banal, boring, dull, non-magical layers. I was going to write Eldritch Liars for 5th edition. Ooh, I, uh, I like that. That's... Oh, no, 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 no. This was only musical instruments possessed by, uh, oh, once possessed oh, by Eldritch creatures. I see. And it yeah. was for 4th edition. For 4th edition, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Eldritch Layers contains... Eight short arcane-themed adventures for characters levels four through eight. The Goldilocks levels. Yes. GMs can drop these adventures into any existing 5e campaign or run them as a standalone one-shot game, which I'm actually always looking for. I could have used this a little while ago. Why is this coming out now? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, players, you can explore the trap-filled Pit of the Dust Goblins. Oh, it's very Mm on-brand. You can take to the skies in the Palace of the Wind Lords. Or you can, I mean, we said windlords, we mean helicopters, right? Of course, I I sure hope so. Okay. You can also enter the Undying Tournament, which the Bugbear Bear will win. And you can do so much more. 
Eldritch Lairs is full color and filled with beautiful art and maps, uh, which we're both quite into, actually. And you can get it today at www.coboldpress.com. <laughs> 